I'm Emma. And I am Jenny. And this is Have You Heard Of. It's the podcast where two best friends finally hold each other accountable for all those pop culture recommendations that we keep giving each other. This week it is my turn, and I'm so happy because Jenny's going to get a lot of references I make now, and we're talking about Yentl. Yes, I'm very excited to finally watch this movie and talk about it. But before we do, I have a spotlight swap to share. And to no one's surprise, the thing that I am sharing today <laughs> is a new <laughs> BTS song. Was... Why was I wondering what you were going to pick? It should have been very clear. I know. Well, I was thinking, I was like, Jenny, maybe bring up something else. And I was like, no, no. this has been occupying my brain. Um, for the timestamp of when we were recording this, we usually record a week in advance. So the the show, the show, the song like just dropped like two days ago. And it is, brings me so much joy. It's called Permission to Dance. And it is another full English song. It is very musical theatery to me for some reason. It's very yeah. like end credit end scene curtain song of like everyone coming together and each have their own little moments and or like when movies did the like blooper reel over the credits but a bouncy song would always be playing (gasps) one thousand percent correct it's like the end song in the first Mamma Mia movie exactly right and they all look great. Their outfits are amazing. Everyone is singing, including all the rappers are singing. And it's also the message that's bringing towards it. Because a lot of times you usually just see the seven members. But this one, they had clips of people all around the world from like different communities, different um, ages, different like jobs. Like They had seniors. They had children. They had people... Like, frontline staff workers at a restaurant. They had um, uh, someone working in the postal service. They had teachers. They, it, it was so wholesome and good. It made me so happy. And I went in the tag on Tumblr the next morning, and everyone was just like, can I, can I have permission to dance? Yes, you can. <laughs> and that... That's the whole thing. Like, even, like, the message behind the song of, like, you don't need permission to dance has so much weight to it and can also be looked at for so many different reasons is the whole idea of, like, having to ask permission to dance. Like, it seems... We'll kind of get into it in the end. Like, that restriction. Like, no, you shouldn't have to have permission to do these things that bring you joy and to just dance and feel free within your body and just... And you don't need it. You just do it. And there's also a line of, we don't need to worry because when we fall, we know how to land. And that's something I've been, like, thinking about a lot. And it's also something that's, like, an ongoing thing um, of, like, self-discovery is that there's a lot of things you can't control in this world. You can't control if someone's going to let you down. You can't control if someone will disappoint you. You can't control all these things. But what you can control is the notion that you know that when you fall, if that happens, you'll know how to pick yourself up. And you can deal with it. And once you get to that level of it doesn't matter what happens because I know I am strong enough to get back up, then your whole world completely changes and broadens. And you have so much strength in that knowing that I will get back up. And I'm like, yes, yes, you will. And also just the visuals of like everyone's wearing masks and they'll take them off and then they start clapping and I'm like, yes, start clapping. We're coming together. We and need this. We need this. And at the end, they have like a behind the scenes and they're dancing with their whole crew. And some of the movements in the song, like a a very popular thing with K-pop music is that the dance, like people recognize it and they learn it. But this one is very more, it's it's a lot more simpler than other dances. And they all focused on hand movements. And I loved it. Like it was just all these little like accentuations to the beat or to the rhythm of. Yeah. I'm doing like a weird raptor claw thing, but Jenny, you know. I understand what you're trying to put down. Yes. But they also added some sign language in there as well. So like they have the sign language for like dancing 
<laughs> and I, I, I also said that they, I read that they also had the sign language for fun and peace as well. And like, that's like, I saw a thing on Twitter that's like, yeah, I was watching it with like, I have a cousin who is deaf and she watched like, oh, they're asking me to dance. Like she recognized the movement. I was like, oh no, I'm getting emotional. Oh God. <laughs> and I think it is important that they've had, like they've had such success with Butter and Dynamite and all these other songs. But I feel like this one, it was less about the hype of it and it was more about like I couldn't stop smiling and I felt so warm watching it like it felt so heartwarming I feel like the turnaround for it was so quick too because you texted me the teaser and then suddenly it was the day of <laughs> yeah well usually they there was so no time to prepare and they usually do a lot of lead up for stuff but because they like when butter came out like six weeks ago it was like such a huge lead up but this one, they were releasing stuff, and they're like, "We're going to release this song." And it was also on like Army's birthday, and also like Ed Sheeran wrote the song and like spoiled it. So I don't know if like that changed <laughs> how they were going to like <laughs> advertise it. But anywho, Edward. it is it's so good, and everyone should check it out because it it's it's nice. <laughs> I woke up the next morning, and I had 127 unread text messages. <laughs> I was wondering how many it would be. It was 127. <laughs> I know. Me and my other friend, I was like, maybe we should go on our like separate one. I was like, no, Emma needs to see this too. I know. I needed to read it. I know. I woke up this next morning and I was like, I want to contribute. But like, you ladies knocked it out of the park with the live reaction. So I was just like, good, look good. Song, sound good, look good. <laughs> Yes, yes. I'm glad you were able to wake up and read the news, which was us talking about the music video. <laughs> uh, so yeah, please watch it. And yeah, do what you want to do because you want to do it. And don't wait for permission. And someone who knows a lot about that yes. is Yentl, the Yentl yes. boy. <laughs> yes. Um, so Jenny, had you heard of Yentl before you watched the film this week? Um, I feel like... Okay, so I know for a fact that you've talked to me about it before. And I think <laughs> you brought it up sometimes in the podcast for other things, but not like During the Witness episode, I did talk about my personal history of film, which is that Yentl is the first film ever made and Witness is the second film ever made. And anything else that people say came out during that time isn't actually a movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I kind of knew about it. I also knew a little bit because I think it was sometimes referenced in Glee sometimes. And I didn't... Yeah, also... I didn't realize until it was, I was watching it that this is where Papa Do You Hear Me comes from. And I was like, as it was starting, I was like, this is this sounds familiar. In a moment, I was like, this isn't Papa Don't Preach. There's some another <laughs> that's going to happen. And I was like, wait, this is where this is from? This now is that makes so much to me every said. single time our FaceTime disconnects because of the spotty internet connection? Yes, it is. Yes. And it's also like, I remember, I've seen that scene because I remember looking up, I was like, what's the original, like, Papa, do you hear me? And I had no context, so it was just, like, it was just Barbara Streisand with, like, short hair singing to a candle. I was like, this seems emotional, I have no context. And then when I watched it, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that makes more sense. And that is legit all I knew about Yentl. Um... Sometimes my sister and I will do something to one another, which is that we will watch something we know the other person will like, and we'll say, hey, you should watch this, but because of one scene in particular that I want you to talk about, but we won't tell the other person what the scene is. So then it just becomes a test of, okay, I am going to watch this movie, and now I have to figure out what exact scene my sister wants me to understand. Interesting. Um, and one of those things was that uh, my sister went to see Deadpool 2 before I saw it, Mm -hmm. um, and said, you know, I've got some thoughts about Deadpool 2, but there's one part in particular that we're going to need to discuss and break down. And I was like, oh God, in Deadpool, that could be literally anything. Yeah. And then I went to go see Deadpool 2 and there's a scene where he sings, Papa, can you hear me? And I was like, oh, okay, good. I know what part <laughs> maybe my sister wants to talk about. Yeah. You figured it out. Yeah. Um, so what is your experience? Yeah. Like what was like your introduction to Yentl? My introduction to Yentl was through my sister. So it was one that I definitely heard about. Uh, I think probably the first time I heard about it was around 2010. Because this is the year that uh, the movie The Hurt Locker happened and won a bunch of... Not a bunch, but The Hurt Locker came out actually in 2009. 
and then was nominated during the 2010 Oscars. And it was directed by a woman named Catherine Bigelow, who was nominated for Best Director. And there was this real buzz of, is Catherine Bigelow going to become the first woman ever to win a Best Director Oscar? Uh, up until that point, Sofia Coppola had probably been the closest, but when she was nominated for um, Lost in Translation, but hadn't won. Anyways, but with that year at the Oscars, it was really, okay, is this going to be Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker or James Cameron for Avatar? Because they kind of split the precursors. And the Oscar ceremony definitely gambled as they did this year unsuccessfully but with their presenter they decided to do Barbara Streisand was going to present the best director Oscar in the hopes that it would become this big thing when Catherine Bigelow won that she would be presented her award by Barbara Streisand and she did win they played I am woman it was a big moment I definitely cried oh glad it I was like I was so expected to be like and he did it I was like ah shit (laughs) no this is a case of the Oscars gambling with their presenters and it worked Um, but the reason they picked Barbara Streisand to present it is kind of funny because Uh Barbara Streisand became very close to being nominated for Best Director for her directorial debut, Yentl, in which she, it's the Barbara Streisand show, and some people criticize her for that. I think it's freaking awesome. She wrote, directed, produced, starred in this movie. You go, girl. Oh my god, she Lin-Manuel'd this shit. That's so cool. She did. Lin-Manuel Barbara'd it. (laughs) Yes. Also, like, I didn't realize she directed it until the very end. And then it was, like, directed by Barbara Streisand. I was like, whoa, (laughs) hell yeah, you did. Um, Yeah, but I I was going to actually save this for later, but it is part of my Yentl story. But yeah, so she didn't get nominated for Best Director for Yentl. She's actually directed two other films since then. She also directed a movie called The Prince of Tides and a movie called The Mirror Has Two Faces, which both also did very well at the Oscars, but she has never been nominated for Best Director. The Oscars had snubbed her every single time, and I think that's very rude of them. So I will be talking about that in a little bit. But anyway, so that's how I first heard of Yentl, because it was this bit, big thing of why is Barbara Streisand presenting this Oscar when the mm. Oscars have always been kind of rude to her. Uh, but it was very a good moment for Catherine Bigelow, a good moment for Barbara. Uh, she yeah. also wasn't presenting this year, but when Chloe Zhao started picking up awards for Nomadland, uh, Barbara was very excited. I was just like, yes, to women directors. It's a very exciting moment. Um, but that was how, and then anyway, so that's when I first heard of Yentl, and then later my sister uh, was like, okay, we've talked about this movie a lot. You need to watch it. Um, and she just sat me down one weekend. And this movie, every time you think you can tell where it's going to go, it doesn't go there. You can't... Pre- like, it just keeps pushing it further and further. And at some point, you expect something to relent. And it never does. Yeah. I wrote down <laughs> this movie. Is it like the epitome of like looking at yourself in the mirror and being like, I think we went too far. I, I, I think we went down the rabbit hole. We keep going. And you're just like, this will be fine. Just this one more. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, sh- Oh, no, it's, oh, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> it is, like, a fully realized form of the phrase, fuck around and find out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, so, overall, I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the making of Yentl, but overall, what was your, what were your first thoughts about, about this movie? Yes, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. It was a lot of fun. I think, like, I, it had the benefit that sometimes it can be a detriment for the film, but in this case, how the quality of, like, being an older film actually helped it, in a way, um, and I, like, I could see how people be like, oh, this is so awkward, like, she doesn't know what she's doing, all this complicated stuff, but it was just fun and interesting to see, and I like the inner monologues of the musical aspects of it which I am a huge fan of musical theater because I feel like some things like you can express with words but like some things should be expressed through music and that is like an ultimate form of expression not only the words you're saying but how you're saying it the the tones and stuff so I feel like they really incorporated it very well and this movie is like I could see like a room of 10 people coming together and each person will have a completely different take on what this movie is, which I find really interesting. Like some people can show this and like watch the movie and be like, this is talking about specifically like religion and stuff, or this could be talking about traditions, or this could be talking about like gender studies. This could be talking about like 
LGBTQ plus community. Like, there's so many things that you could talk about with this film, and all of them would be valid because, again, film is how you interpret it. It's not exactly what's on the tin. There's so many moments and interesting aspects where it's like, okay, this is what's on the tin. This is what it's showing. But if you look a little bit deeper, like, this could mean so much more stuff. And, um, yeah, I it was funny. It was like heart wrenching and it was it was good it was good it's so good and it came out in 1983 and i think obviously film and representation has changed so much in the past 40 years i almost said 20 years emma 1983 was not 20 years ago um it's changed so much in the past 40 years 38 38 i'm rounding up (laughs) good math i just Um, know because that's 10 years before we were born Good point. Um, But it's so important to go back and look at older movies and the way older movies explain really complicated themes because I haven't seen a movie that does talk about all these different topics in the way that Yentl does. And I'm actually, you know, I'm sure other movies that hit similar themes exist, but Yentl really does just become this incredible overarching look at so many pieces of what makes an identity and what makes a person. And it's so interesting. Um, Yeah, so just a little bit about the production history. I had, honestly, too many notes about it. So we're going to, I'm going to (laughs) abbreviate as I go. One thing I did want to say is, so like, yes, the Barbara Streisand show, as it should be. uh, But it was, the script was co-written with a man named Jack Rosenthal. Uh, He apparently also wrote... Uh, a lot for Coronation Street, the British soap opera. But he, of all of his other film scripts, there was only one movie I'd seen. I'm not going to make you guess because there's no way you could. This man also wrote the script for Chicken Run. Well, well, sure. He has the range. (laughs) Uh, So that's that. That's the only note I have about Jack Rosenthal. But Chicken Run? Chicken Uh, Run? Question mark? Yeah. So Barbara Streisand actually has won two Oscars in her career, although neither for directing. Uh, And her first Oscar, she won Best Actress in the late 1960s for the musical Funny Girl. And after this, she came out as like a starring lady, as this big, huge presence. She's a huge celebrity. Um, And she decided she wanted to... So Yentl's based on a short story. And she was like, I want to produce and star in a movie based on Yentl. And the studios had a terrible reaction to that, which is, you're too old, she was 26, and you're too famous. She's too famous <sighs> to star in a movie. And I know. And so, the pre- in the original story, Yentl is supposed to be 16, and Barbara Streisand was like, we can just age the character up. And I wanted to give her a shout out for that, because this movie didn't come out for another 15 years. They did age the character up to 26, when Barbara Streisand was 40. Too old, not today. Um... What? I did not, I had no idea Barbara Streisand was like when was she born? I didn't realize like is she in forty her, like, I think she was born in forty two? Yeah. I She doesn't look forty in the movie at all. Or just we have to reevaluate the way Hollywood treats us to expects us to treat women in their forties as crones. Well what first, yes, one hundred percent. Also, I think it's because like I was not really aware of Barbara Streisand. Like that wasn't like the type of like that music wasn't played in my mm-hmm. household. So I didn't really, I wasn't really aware who Barbara Streisand was until like Glee and that one song that dropped the beat and then said Barbara Streisand. <laughs> like, I, didn't <laughs> I didn't know a lot about her. So in my mind, she's like relatively new. But then when I really think about it, of course she was from the 40s because it was such like, she was such an icon in that like early stage. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. But for some, okay. <laughs> yeah. So Barbara Streisand was 40 during filming, 41 when the movie was released. Um, but she basically just spent 15 years trying to get this project made where she was like, I love this story. I want to explore this story. Uh, in the 70s is when she decided to attach herself as director because she was worried that she was getting too old for the role, but she didn't want to let Yentl go. So she was like, okay, I'll direct the movie instead. And then we get into the 80s and there have been several instances of like her even going as far as shooting test footage and going to do location scouting in Europe. Um, and then the studios just kept finding reasons last minute to shut it down. And it got to the point where we were in the eighties and she had studio interests and some of her friends were like, okay, well now people are worried that this movie is too strange. And she apparently was told like, 
it's it's too Jewish, it's too complicated, we can't get into this. And her friends were like, okay, before they were saying you're too famous, but now that's your strength. You're Barbara Streisand. You've won another Oscar since then. You've become known to some people negatively as someone who will always fight for the story she wants to tell and will not make compromises. Um, and you should star in it. And also you should make it a musical because people love to hear you sing and Yentl should be a place where they get to do that. So that's when she decided to do this take. Um, she oh. gave up like multiple offers to perform like concert tours or residencies, which were like millions of dollars. And she was like, no, I just want to work on Yentl. So she gave up all these other opportunities to work on Yentl and she made it happen. And I just, if you are someone like me who's interested in production history, uh, I highly recommend it because I started on Wikipedia and then just click, I have clicking all of the links and I ended up reading a huge chunk of Streisand, her life, which is a Barbara Streisand biography. I got Ooh. in it. Um, <laughs> got deep into Barbara Streisand. Um, exactly. And, uh, oh, like I said, the Oscars, do you, do you think Barbara Streisand gets any money for that song? because I use her name. I hope so. I mean, she doesn't need it. One of my other favorite Barbara facts is that apparently she has a mall built into the bottom of her house because she likes to go and like oh. pretend to shop where people won't, like a normal person, where people won't stop her and say, Barbara Streisand. So she has a like a, a little mini town built That's into her home. Her. I knew that was some celebrity. I didn't realize it was Barbara. Hell yeah. Hell Get yeah. Get it. Right? Hell yeah. <laughs> um, oh, Barbara, the legend. I love her. <laughs> I need to watch her other two movies. I actually haven't seen The Mirror Has Two Faces and The Prince of Tides. I'm never going to watch The Prince of Tides. It's very sad and very stressful, but The Mirror Has Two Faces looks quite fun. Mm. Anyhow. <laughs> uh, like I said, the Oscars totally snubbed her. Um, and I managed to find an article from the Washington Post in 1984. The, the headline is, Did the Academy Judge Yentl or her? And it, it's such an empathetic towards Barbara article about how the Academy is like, oh, they just don't like Barbara because she's someone who is uncompromising in her vision. And so the movie did actually get nominated for five Oscars. Uh, and the Washington Post called these nominations insulting because the nominations are for art direction, uh, best original song times two, two numbers got nominated, best score, like all things that definitely deserve to get nominated for, but totally snubbed Barbara's performance, Barbara's screenplay, Barbara as best picture, her as director. Mm. It didn't nominate Mandy Patinkin. Um, the one acting nomination it did get, which I really love, is Amy Irving, who plays Hadass, who we'll talk about in a little bit, yeah. um, who did get nominated for an Oscar, and deservedly so, because I think she does, she has so few lines, but she does so much with her expressions in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the Razzies, which I hate because they're hacks and they're boring. They're the awards that nominate the worst in cinema every year, but yeah. they just do whatever they think will get the most attention, and they don't even, like, mm. do any insightful criticism, and they just hate women. Oh, and they no. Hate, I hate the Razzies. Anyway, so we're not even going to skip that. Anyways, but one last thing. We've been talking for so long. We're 20 minutes in. We haven't started talking about the actual movie yet. <laughs> what I do love is that this movie inspired a huge protest the day of the Oscars uh, that was organized yeah. by a women's group called PEP, Principles of Equality and Professionalism in Film. Ooh. And uh, a bunch of like members of the queer community came out and a bunch of women came out basically just to protest Barbara's exclusion and on the Tumblr and on the Twitter I'm going to be putting up some of the photos of the protests because I love them it's just people being like what was wrong with Yentl why do you hate Barbara she's incredible yeah. why won't you recognize this film and I just love that people were really mad about it and shout out to Barbara yeah. who didn't even go to the Oscars that year she just went on vacation and like the movie was a huge success in Europe so she just was like peace goodbye America <laughs> I'm going where I'm appreciated like the Oscars are just so scared of a strong female that they're like no i'm like screw you guys <laughs> i know i i love award season award season is when i my powers are at their peak um yes but I it really is a hate love relationship because every year there are snubs that are just so frustrating and it means that even when i wasn't alive i will go back and i will find those washington post articles and i will hold a grudge yes so let's get into Yentl. We haven't even fully talked about what the movie is about, so thank you for sticking in this far. But the movie is about a woman named Yentl in the early 1900s in Eastern Europe. They don't specify what country. And all she wants is to study the Torah and be a student and learn and debate. And she wants more than her life is offering her. Yes. And she decides after the death of her father to go undercover. She decides to Milan it. 
she cuts yes. off all of her hair and goes in, in, in secret and becomes a student at a yeshiva. And as you said earlier, the story unfolds in so many ways. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, yeah so I, thoughts about the introduction. Yeah. I, um, my mom always told me that like, there's so many things in this world that like can be taken away from you, but something that cannot be taken away from you is your education. And I think that is so important, especially for women, that knowledge has so much power in this world. And for so long, it was kept from us. And how important and personal and um, empowering knowledge can be. So her really being like, I think there was a line that she said, like, why have a mind if not to question things? It's like, yes. And again, like the, it also goes into like different traditions and religions. And I've been reading a lot of articles lately about like the colonial view of like, this is the right way to do it and what is, should be good. And like, but also having to think of like outside of that as well, of not fully understanding other views and perceptions and stuff, but from like my specific perception and understanding and culture it's like yes everyone should be equal and everyone should be able to have equal rights to education and freedom and all of these things and it's exciting she like you said she straight up mulan it and i wrote down originally i was like this is very like bell and maurice and at the beginning with the father and then i wrote down like he started coughing i was like the first note i wrote was Oh boy, that man's about to die. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Papa. They're t- um, they're so close and close as as father and daughter. I'm like, oh god, he's gonna die, isn't he? <laughs> this he's is before not, I realized that this is where the Papa. This world. Yeah, this is before I knew the Papa don't do you hear me song was in this movie. So I was like, oh no, and then it happened. I was like, ah, yes, okay, this 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 makes more sense. <laughs> but yes, it's so interesting because this movie really is like it's the access to education and it's the opportunity to express what you know and like everyone deserves equal access to education but equal doesn't mean like the same across the board it means you have to give different people different opportunities so that everyone can reach a level of education and yeah. this movie really explores like even if someone thinks they're not interested in education it's because they have never had access to it before so you have to you have you can't just say oh go to school you have to reach out and help people find what makes them passionate Oh, um, exactly. Like as someone who is trained as a trained teacher, I understand. Oh, thanks. She gave me some finger guns. That was very nice of you. <laughs> trained teacher. <laughs> boo, boo, boo. <laughs> and um, there's this idea or this knowledge that people think or idea people have that, and parts of it I 100% agree with. Of like some people like oh like school like I don't like this. It like breaks down systems. It ruins creativity, all this stuff. And on one hand, like I totally agree with how some structures of knowledge is brought. But at the same time, once you find something that you are passionate about and something that interests you, then it is, you broaden your mind. And then again, you meet people that have a similar mind and you can discuss and converse and you get to know a little bit more about the world and about yourself and it's about finding those specific hooks and those specific passions and curiosity. All life is about is about sparking curiosity. And if you can find that spark in anything, then it's something that needs to be supported and nurtured. And um, just being able to grow that is so meaningful. And there's a quote in the movie as well, which I find quite interesting when they, when Yentl wants to read the Torah and her father's like, okay, like close the blinds, close the blinds. And she's like, why are we closing the blinds? Like, like if God could see us in here, it's like, I trust God will understand. Not so sure about the neighbors. And I'm like, and this becomes wow. a recurring theme of, even yes. if you know, like, even if you know your faith very well, that doesn't change how other people see it. And is how incredibly frustrating that is. Thomas. <laughs> Not the Talmud. Talmud, Talmud, why not? Why not, Hadass? That's the least the husband can do for his wife. The, the most, maybe. Even. I could never read Talmud. I'm That's a nonsense. Teacher. If I can do it, you can do it. Lock the door. 
Isn't it a sin? I thought sin, women were forbidden. Sin is not a sin. Then why are you closing the curtains and me locking the doors? Why? Because I trust God will understand. I'm not so sure about the neighbors. Come sit. I think that like in like that one sentence in my mind is encapsulate encapsulates. Is that how you say that word? Encapsulates. Mm-hmm. Um all of human conflict and like human thought process in a way of like you can't control how you're perceived exactly exactly thank you yeah and it's so you can be so confident yourself but you can't control what other people think and but the same thing is like you can have that confidence of like okay i don't care what other people think but sometimes you have to and you just got to close the blinds sometimes it was like oh Oh, for knowledge. Anywho, I'm going on. From a directorial standpoint, too, one thing I really like about this movie is that Barbara sets up things really well in like in terms of recurring themes, like this recurring quote, or just general symmetry, or comparing other characters in ways that you don't even fully understand. I I watched this movie twice this week. I watched it on Thursday, and then I watched it again this morning, which Mm -hmm. is what I usually do. I usually (laughs) because of time differences. It's always later in my day when we start recording, so I'll usually like take a note of overall thoughts, then I'll do my research, then I'll watch it a second time to get down just like things I might have missed. And I realized something is just like this movie plays really interestingly in how important love is to a life as well, like education and love and how, but not just Mm. romantic love, it's familial love, it's friend love, it's love of learning. Um, Uh. And how your relationship can change or you take different things that you need from different people um, and so, and just uh, including loving yourself and how you see yourself. So this movie plays a lot with shadow and silhouette and reflection so well. And you might think that this is, you know, a very obvious filmmaking technique, but I still care when I think about yet. I almost said lentil. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is not her name. Oh, no. When you see Yentl looking into a mirror and it, it, it forces you to think about how she sees herself. Um, one thing too, but actually with the directing is that Barbara you know, having been in this industry, apparently has spent, unsurprisingly, a lot of time examining how her physical appearance, and she says, you know, she considers mm-hmm. her her right side to be her more masculine side of her face, because her nose is asymmetrical, and her left side is her more feminine, so all of her gentle scenes are filmed from the left, and all of her anshul scenes, which her male alter ego, are filmed from the right, which I thought was very interesting. And then also, just, we're gonna, but we're about to meet Avigdor, who I love. And in her relationship with Avigdor, I think it's very interesting that like one of the last scenes you see with Yentl and her father is them playing chess together. And then when she meets Avigdor, it's while he's playing chess with a partner who's not well matched for him. So it's like, it shows immediately how connected they are and how they have both experienced loss, a familial loss, but they're about to find a new relationship with each other. And I really like that. Before we get into that, just to go back to what we're talking about before is I think she even says like am i worthy and that is like also an ongoing thing of like am i worthy of this and like the the that word of like worthiness has is controversial in itself because a lot of times when we think the things that we uh, associate like well am i worthy of this a lot of times it's things that you being a human being means you're worthy of it Mm mm-hmm and like of love of support of like comfort like all these things you're worthy because you're human yeah you're worthy of it but it's again the whole idea of like why have like a brain if you can't question things like it's that's also a privilege to be able to ask those questions too anywho Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first so, song yeah. in the movie, Where Is It Written, is such a great I want song if we're looking at it. It's funny yeah. to be that's just, yeah. And the thing about Yentl is that she wants so much and she never stops wanting. Even when she becomes afraid to pursue it, she never stops wanting. Yes. And so I feel like this movie kind of has a couple of parts. I didn't realize it was long, but it is long. Um, but like the first, like there's the whole aspect of her wanting to learn all these things. And then the second part of it is like the horniest movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> talk about this every week of like my check-in text with Jenny so did you like the movie and then she sent me a response this movie is so horny and I just felt instantly relieved I was like okay she understands me (laughs) (laughs) it was so good it's so like it it feels like a Shakespearean play of like this person he 
is falling in love with he, but he is actually a her, and she is has to fall in love with her, but her thinks it's, it's like. So, and there's like a song which is when Barbara's even like talking about that. And it's like, there's just so many things. You've got to get out the colored yarn and do a diagram yes. of everyone's feelings. Um, yes. So she strikes out on her own uh, and renames herself Anshul, which was the name of her brother who died when she was very young. Although I do love this, that she did not think she, she Yentl is such a doer. She is not a planner. <laughs> No, so yeah. she meets, starts meeting people and as disguised as a man, and someone asks her her name. You can just see the oh no, I didn't. <laughs> it's the pe- that. It, it's the peg thing from Mulan. Exactly. Like, what? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but she meets this man named Avigdor, played by Mandy Patinkin. I also love this movie. The other two leads, Amy Irvine and Mandy Patinkin, are both well-known musical theater performers and they don't sing but barbara was like i do need you to bring that heat bring that energy but you will not be singing well i every time i looked at avador i was like why does this guy look so familiar i wrote down like he's such a like um uh uh physical actor and then when i looked it up like this morning i was like oh my god of course his name is inigo montoya yeah 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 Uh uh-huh 100 i was like how did i not realize put two and two together Uh, A callback to another one of our lost episodes. Uh, He also was almost Pierre in Great Comet on Broadway. And the show, there was... I mean, you can look that up. The show ended up closing amidst some some controversy. But I... Oh, God, I need to hear Mandy Patinkin sing Dust and Ashes. I need it to live. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, Um, it would be so good. But yes, Mandy Patinkin is such a wonderful presence. Uh, I've been following him on on Instagram for a while, and in the past year of lockdown, him and his wife have become, like, internet celebrities. Uh, They have a wonderful Instagram. Highly recommend. It's just them on their farm with their adult son who films them talking about things, and they're just like, we're old. We don't know what's going on, but we remember the 70s. It was a good time, and they're so charming. (laughs) Um, Cuties. Yes. Uh, but Avigdor is someone whose brother has recently died. So he, he and Yensel as Anshul does say, oh, my, my father has recently passed. And so they, they connect over their grief. And he sees that Anshul doesn't have anywhere to study and is like, come to my yeshiva, see if they'll admit you. And I love that this character is introduced as someone who is so open and so eager to care. Mm. Um, and then later they set this up as someone of like, you think he's this incredible open-minded character. And then as the movie goes on, you start to see all these cracks and these faults and how he actually does yeah. keep secrets and has some opinions that are like really frustrating to Yentl. But when you meet him, he's just such a breath of fresh air of just this like incredibly kind person, which you really need in the movie. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting to see like what you're saying, like you see eventually throughout the film, his thoughts and stuff change. Like when you meet his fiance and all of a sudden he's like, Oh yeah, she doesn't need to have a thought. And you're like, Oh, I don't, I don't think about what she thinks. Cause I don't think she thinks anything. And you're like, well, Avigdor. Yeah. And the way he looks at you until the whole film, this guy is going through a crisis at all times, at all times. <laughs> because when they meet, their relationship is set up as one of like a mutual kinship, a friendship, and Anshul has, or not Anshul, Avigdor has just lost his younger brother and meets this, you know, very young looking man and is like, oh, I'm going to adopt you. Um, but then as they get closer, including on the very first night they meet, he's like, come stay with me. By the way, there's only one bed. And he, didn't he say something about like, don't you ever think of like sinful thoughts? I'm like, Ange. <laughs> Because he uses this as a segue to be like, by the way, I'm engaged to a really hot woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's yeah, great. Exactly. And meanwhile, and then Yentl's just like, okay, cool. Don't look at me. I'm I'm just gonna read. And he's like, get into the bed, please. That whole scene of like, get in the bed, come on. It's like, oh god. It's also so like, uncomfortable. It's it's fascinating to see because you slowly see Avador like fall in love with mm-hmm. Yentl, but in his mind, Yentl is a man. He's Anshul. So, like, there's, there's a scene, like, I'm jumping so far ahead, but we'll go back. But, like, when he finds out that Yentl is a woman, he's, like, so re- relieved. Like, oh, thank God I loved you for so long. I'm like, yeah, but also, 
Let's go back to that. Let's go back to this as well, because this is important, a reflection for yourself to realize, like, hey, like, just change your perception. is so well done. It's so shocking and kind of scary at times, but it just transpires in a very honest way. But one of my favorite lines is him realizing that she's a woman and he just is, he said, I thought there was something wrong with me. And she says, no, there's nothing wrong with you. And it's not that there's nothing wrong with you because don't worry, there's nothing wrong. I've been a lady this whole time. It's no, there was nothing ever wrong in loving me. Yes. Oh. <sighs> oh. Um, also, does Yentl fall in love with the woman? Yes. <sighs> so let's start talking about Hadas. Hadas, the third player in all of this. She's engaged to Avigdor. She loves him very much. They have a very chaste so far relationship because they're not married yet. But when... I'm just going to call her Anshul for all the scenes where she's Anshul because I think it'll it'll save some confusion. So okay. Anshul meets Hadas at dinner and sees the way that this woman performs femininity in a way Yentl, when she was still Yentl, was never capable of, never had the patience for. And it's- she... It has a it's song called because, No Wonder that is basically just gender envy the musical. <laughs> yes, and because I think this scene, because from the outside, it's like, oh, I wouldn't want this. Any, like, why would I want to do that? But then this is the first time her experiencing the service towards her. That mm-hmm. that's, not, that's something completely brand new. And it's like, oh, like the whole thing is like, if I was a man, I would want this too. And yes, like, and it starts ooh. off as, I wish I could be like this woman. Because men would want me, but then it becomes, if I were a man, I would want her. And Yentl's also having to reconcile with this. And you have Hadas, who doesn't even get to speak for the first hour and a bit of the movie. She's this totally silent figure, so all you see is the way she is constantly in service and very nervous around Avigdor. But you don't get to hear any of her thoughts, because Avigdor has never even considered to ask. And Yentl even has this moment of, no wonder he loves her. Like, after arguing with me all the time in school, it must be such a respite to have someone who just wants to hear what you have to think, and you don't have to give them anything in return. But that's not a good relationship. Yeah, and the the whole, like, triad thing that's going on, you really, like, I think they do a good job of expressing, like, body reactions mm-hmm. of like when she's like like I, I kept spilling stuff because like I was trembling when I was by him or like the eye contact or like just the the subtleness of intimacy and attraction mm-hmm. is really poignant and evident in this film and it's very interesting to watch and so we jump ahead into after they Avigdor and uh, Anshul have known each other for many months, and you can see the change. It's so funny. Avigdor, like we said with the bed scene, is immediately very physically comfortable with Yentl. And then you jump forward a couple months, and it is that touchy-feeliness where you feel so intensely for someone, but you're trying to play it off as just a friendly like bump. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I'm just going to hold on to you all the time, but it's not weird. Don't read into it. Um, yeah. But then there's also like, something to think about, like, or is it actually that type of attraction, or are are we just coming from a perception of what like uh, of physical like, intimacy equals romantic interest? Yeah. Or like the gender of like how men are taught or shown how to have friendships. Maybe this is just the only way they diff- can express emotion is through physical contact, but like yeah. not, not intimate, not gentle. It has to be roughhousing. It has to be antagonistic. Right? So is it, is it, it's, it's the whole big question of the universe. Is it gay or is it, more like breaking that down Western social norms, has or an is extremely it warped perspective of what being physically comfortable with someone means? Yes, exactly. It makes me think, man. Makes everybody me think. go watch Gentle. It will open your mind. Um, have you seen on TikTok the meme set to "Nobody" by Mitski? Probably. <laughs> it's it's just it's a scene of a scenario being set up, and then nobody starts playing by Mitski, which is just the chorus is nobody, 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 and it's just someone running away. And this happens twice in this movie because they're studying, they're arguing in the summer, and Avigdor starts roughhousing with Yentl, and Yentl just starts running away because she's like, "I can't have you touch me. You're gonna realize there's curves in places there shouldn't be." Yeah. Um, but this ends with Avigdor literally pinning Yentl to the ground. And then he has his own nobody moment of, oh no, I'm literally yeah. pinning you to the ground. He's like, let's go swimming. And then just books it in the opposite yeah. direction. I but was like, he's trying to run it away. Mirroring is that he's, he's teasing 
Anshul, and I don't even remember about what, but he's like pinning him to the ground and like joking about how close they are and is saying like, admit it, admit it, you're wrong, you're wrong. And Yangtzul says, no, I'm not wrong. And this mirrors the confession again, where he's like, I thought I was wrong for caring about you. And Yangtzul says, no, you're not. Also, this is also like a scene that Mulan must have gotten inspiration from because it just all of a sudden turns a corner and there's just a bunch of naked men and she's like, oh shit. <laughs> I, I don't know how to swim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And okay, we haven't even got to the whole point of the marriage that happens. Because that's when this happens. So there's this this reveal of like post Alvador just hanging out with Yentl fully in the nude and being like, and what about it? Um, <laughs> is he gets a message from his fiance's father and it's like oh cool they must be wanting to plan the wedding and it's this reveal that actually no um Amagdor's brother who uh we've been told died of pneumonia actually killed himself um and Amagdor has yeah. been keeping this a secret because he knows that this will change people's perception of him especially like as someone who's studying like it'll, it'll just change so much for him and that the secret is found out and his fiance Hadassah's family calls off the engagement yeah. And just immediately starts trying to marry her off to other people. And it's this is interesting, too, because this is the first insight you get into what Hadass wants. But it's nobody asking her. It's people saying, well, she won't want to marry someone she doesn't know. Anshul, you should marry her. Fellas, is it gay to ask your best friend to marry your ex-fiance? I know. And then also, he'd be like, yeah, do it. It's like, hey, but yeah, do, do it. Do, marry my girl. Come on, be a bestie and marry my girl for me, please. <laughs> do you feel anything for me at all? Then do this. It's such a big ask. Oh, but Yentl, as a doer, not a planner, says sure, okay. Yeah, they go forward with the wedding, and then there's this quote that I just wrote down. Well, fuck me, I guess. When he, when Anshul, no, Avador, reads the quote for the night of the wedding, and I was like, we'll have to drop this as a sound clip. It's so hot. Damn, son. <laughs> I'm literally panicking. He wrote it over 500 years ago. Converse with her to put her mind at ease. Speak words which arouse her to love, desire, and passion. And words of reverence for God. Never force her. Her mood must be as yours. Win her with graciousness and seductiveness. Be patient. Until her passion is aroused. Begin with love. And when her mood is ready, let her desire be satisfied first. Her delight is what matters. Because it's this whole wedding, and again, we've hardly heard Hadas speak aside from like one brief scene where she does speak to Anshul and is like, Would you want to marry me? Because you are my friend, kind of. Yeah. Um, but she's getting this lecture from her mother about make sure your husband is always happy, especially tonight. And Abigdor pulls Anshul aside and gives this whole treatise about how sex is great, but make sure she's having a good time, put her pleasure above anything else. And it's just so much. I can't believe it. This is still an issue today. And then Abigdor's just out there being like... Because like the final line he says, like her delight is what matters. But like the way that he is like whispering it like in her ear and is talking about it. And in my head, I was like, Oh, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Hello, sir. <laughs> it's a lot. Wow. It's a lot to take in, but it was delightful. <laughs> it's a lot. And this is one of those moments where you're like, there's no way they're going to go through with the wedding. And then suddenly it is the wedding night for actually for Alpagdor's advice in my notebook. I just wrote head in my hands. <laughs> Well, it's so weird. It's pretty much like Avador being like, okay, best friend, have sex with my love, but make sure it's good. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, God. Yeah. And how do they and handle the wedding night, do you ask? Because Hadass thinks she's married a man. Um, yeah, yeah. So they're just like, let's, I'm not going to pressure you. It's, it's great. Let's flip it on on you, and then it'll be fine, and then it'll be good. I know, I know you're still in love with my bro, so like, I think it would actually be a sin for us to bone. Yeah. Um, but it's also very nice because Hadas, I said earlier, like does talk a little bit how she trusts Anshul more than other men, but she's never had the opportunity, I think, to have friends in her life. We don't see her even with yeah. any other women. She doesn't talk to anybody else. And so it's so thrilling and shocking to her when Anshul actually asks her, like, do you 
want to sleep with me tonight or do you just want to drink some wine and we can hang out and she at first just says well of course I want of course I want to do this because that's what we're supposed to do and Anshul Ansel keeps pushing her and saying well what do you want and she just wants to have fun and she just wants to talk to someone but she doesn't even know what she wants to talk about because she's literally never had the opportunity to do so before she has she is finally for the first time has gotten the bare minimum of someone listening to her yes and asking what she wants and like She's like, oh, oh, okay. And then, so you see, like, a couple of scenes of, like, they're married now. And then, but then she starts to fall in love. Both of them start falling in love with each other. I know. And so then Hadass and Yentl also start falling in love. Because Yentl actually has always been kind of dismissive of women who perform femininity. And she's like, how can they think? How can they not want more? But she sees how much work. Hadass puts into everything. They're arguing about chickens <laughs> and, in context of the Torah. And Hadass just says, you know, I, you, ta- you argue about chickens? I'm the one who has to pluck them and serve them every night. And she just has no patience for it. She's exhausted. And it makes Yentl realize how much work that this woman is putting into all of these things, like making tea and making these almond cakes. It requires a huge amount of knowledge and a perspective that she does, is not being shared with anyone. And also there's one of my favorite quotes, which is the epitome and inner thoughts of every person who is a student is I on a Friday I am too tired to be a scholar on a Friday night and hell yeah amen to that <laughs> exactly but in the but we get to see the recurring quote too that Jenny called out is I trust God will understand I'm not so sure about the neighbors but Hadass starts reading the Torah and it does change her even though it's exhausting like she does begin to articulate what she wants And I think if there were one musical number in this film that we don't get to see, I would have loved to have a Hadass number, but that would change the entire conceit of the film. But she's such Mm. an interior character. She's such an enigma. Um, But I think Amy Irving's performance is fantastic. She's so funny and sweet and very thoughtful. And it's always interesting to see how her character is... She is all... Like, every character in this film is going through their own personal journey. And it's really interesting to see her, like realize like like she's been being coaxed and like trained of how to be a wife for her whole life and now that she's in a marriage when it's like oh like I don't need all all of these things and she's like going through a whole internal conflict of like okay what do I actually want and then you kind of see her be like no this is what I want to do like I want to be this I want to be the wife I want to do these things which is as valued as um, Yentl going through the thing of like, no, I don't want to be this. I want to be this. And both stories are mirroring. Exactly. And they're both mirroring each other in opposite directions. And they're both valid. And we get one more musical number called, Will Someone Ever Look at Me That Way? Which is them deciding to have Avigdor over for dinner. And Yentl sees it, I think, as a solution to her conflicting feelings of, oh no, I'm starting to actually have romantic and like lustful feelings for Hadass. How am I going to solve this? By bringing in my best friend who I'm also in love with, but who I know loves her. But it has this whole song, but it's so interesting because the whole song is, oh, will someone ever look at me the way Hadass looks at Avigdor? But you see Avigdor looking at Yentl like that. And then Yentl is looking at Hadass very lovingly. And it's just, everyone is having a crisis because they don't know who to be jealous of. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh. And then we have the whole confession that happens. And it, I won't, before like we get into the confession, before, I do oh, want yeah. to give one shout out to another lyric because we've talked about before how much we love Bitch by Meredith Brooks in this podcast. And they have one song, which is the last song where she's singing, where Yenzel decides, like, it's this moment of, if you choose not to make a decision, that's your decision. That becomes yeah. what you do. So Yentl this whole time made the decision to go to school, but every, ever since then, it's just been letting things happen to her. Avigdor is the one who puts her, like, gets her into the yeshiva. And then she just marries Hadass, and it becomes these whole things. And culminating in Hadass saying, it's not a sin for us not to sleep together anymore because I don't love Avigdor. I love you. And it's, like, again, told in shadow and silhouette, but it forces Yentl to say, no matter what happens, it can't be the same anymore. And so she decides to say, oh, we're going for a lad's holiday. Um, Uh But she does say... Lad. (laughs) Lads. (laughs) Um, But before she goes, and obviously Hadass doesn't know this is the last time they'll ever see each other, but Hadass very honestly says, I love you. And Yentl says, I love you back, and very clearly means it. Yeah. Um... I got sidetracked from my original Meredith Brooks point, which is then she sings a song about her thoughts towards Hadass. And she says, she's a mother. She's a sister. She's a lover. She's the wonder of wonders. And I was like, she's a bitch. She's a lover. She's a child. She's a mother. (laughs) Anyways. 
parallels, cinematic parallels. Yes. The confession. The confession. Yes. The whole time they're going on their holiday and Yentl Anshul says, I have a secret to tell you. And Avigdor the whole time is like, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. What do you think Avigdor thought the secret was? <laughs> I have no idea what I think he thinks it is. I think, I don't think it's that he loved her or that, that he loved him. But I think it was... I have no idea. What did you think? I have no idea because I think the very, like, oh, logical secret could be like, oh, Hadass and I are having a kid. But I don't think he thought that because he's seen the way they interact. So he, and he doesn't know that they haven't consummated their marriage. Um, but I, I, just because I think of that fraught relationship that all three of them have, Avigdor wouldn't go in with this secret to be like, oh, are they, are they going to start a family? But I have no idea. But I just, it is funny to think about. I just thought I had this morning of like, what does he think is going to happen this weekend? And I don't think he knows either. Yeah. Also, does the hotel that they stay in only have one bed again? <laughs> I think so. It's yeah. so much for me to consider. <laughs> I shouldn't put my hand over my mouth when I talk into a microphone for an audio medium. But <laughs> but okay, I do want to get into the confession because I think like this is really pivotal to the whole movie, okay. which is, we talked about it a little bit before, but Avigdor is so angry, which is another very scary moment. And it's, I, I don't think his anger is even misplaced. He never becomes violent, even though he does grab who he now knows as Yentl. Um, but it is just this passion thing. And he starts yelling and he just says, well, why wouldn't you tell me? What were you afraid of? And she says this. And it does settle him and ground him, which I think is very interesting of, oh, God. Um, but it's just so intimate. And I feel bad that we're almost at a t- we're running out of time, but like, yeah, it's just this confession of I cared about you. I talked about earlier. It's just so important. Like, what what were your overall readings? Cliff's notes versions of the confession. I think at first I was. I think it's because like I knew the whole time that it was Yentl, so I was like, this guy's overreacting a bit. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I also like understood why he was upset. And like, but it was again, like what you're saying, like it was scary. I think that was true. Like I felt worried for Yentl's safety for a moment. And and he's yelling int- too. He's like sins, sins, sins upon sins. But in that moment, like he is not even looking in Yentl's direction. And it is just a man being like, now I, now that I know it's a woman, my body can admit or my mind can admit that these are romantic feelings, but that doesn't change the fact that when I had them, I thought it was a man. So I'm the sinful one. He's just running through the entire sexuality crisis. He's speed running it in like 45 seconds. And also like the idea of like betrayal and lies. And when there's so many rules that they need to follow between genders and all of a sudden, like you said, he was all of a sudden complicit. Without knowing it. And all these things of, I told you so much about myself. And it's this this thing, he's, he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't understand why women want to learn. So he is now is able to openly admit that he loves Yentl, but he's not able to fully understand why she's interested in studying and why she even made this decision in the first place. He's like, we'll leave, we'll get married, we'll start a new life. And you can study at night in secret. And Yentl is just like, you're not no. listening to me. No. Like, he got the base, the like, he he got the footnotes, but didn't really read into them. He didn't do the reading. Exactly. Which is ironic, because she wants to do the reading. And exactly. It's, and it, one it goes back note. to his, like, okay. perception of, like, him being superior to who he's with. Like, he's like, yeah, like, but I'm like, no, but what did you, what did you find attractive about Gentle, which is that, or what you thought was Ansel, is, like, your equalness. You guys mm-hmm. were compatible you guys were arguing about stuff you guys were equals and then all of a sudden when the relationship status changes all of a sudden it's a different dynamic and it's like no that is not i'm not gonna lose yentl's like i'm not gonna lose my who i am to be with you and just one note too that is one of the last things we ever hear avigdor say is him explaining to Yentl, like, well, why don't you want to be a woman? Women are so incredible. They're closer to God in ways that I can never be. And I think that's very interesting, too, because we've only seen Yentl be the one who's really, like, literally in text exploring gender expression. But you just had this moment of Avogdor being like, I don't understand it, but I also want it. Yeah. Because of femininity. And I just, that's one of the last things. And then they very nearly almost kiss after the confession and don't, but they do kiss the next morning 
when she's back in her onshul disguise, which I think is very interesting as well. Yeah. And also, um, Avador brings up Hadass and is like, what have you done to her? Because in his mind, he's like, what have you been doing? Has no idea what's happening. And because he's also in love with Hadass, but like, I feel like it's a different type of love. And he also understands, even if, as Angel like explains, like we never consummated our marriage, he's like, that doesn't matter because I've seen the way she looks at you. I know she loves you too. And it's just all of these things. And how Angel solves this is being like, go back to this town, be with Hadass because you will love each other. And she's more of an equal partner for you now and you're more of a part equal partner for her than you would have been before this marriage will be stronger but i need to leave and go somewhere new and it's not just a matter of going to, to a new town where no one knows you it's going to somewhere that is entirely new to you even if it's a terrifying decision who knows what's going to happen in the early 1900s in america yeah but it's just this isn't also interesting it's not how the short story ended the decision for yensel to leave and go to america on this boat is entirely a Barbara decision and I think it's so important because it speaks to what this movie is trying to do over the original story which I haven't read but it just becomes this affirmation of Yensel wanting more and saying go chase it yeah just and it's so optimistic yeah and I think like my overall like the feeling of the movie goes back to like a quote that was way in the beginning I think it was Yentl's father was talking to her like I'm so sorry that I brought you up to like be knowledgeable and all these things and she says don't be sorry because I'm not and I think it really brings together the whole feeling of this film of everyone is looking at Yentl in a certain way and they're like oh but you need to be this way are you going to lose out on this and all these things it's like don't be sorry for me because I'm not I am proud of who I am I never taught you how to be a woman. Don't worry, you taught me everything I know. And that's what Yentl yeah. is. Yentl is just the desire for knowledge. Yes! Knowledge! <laughs> that's Yentl. That's Yentl. Yay. It's incredible. Go watch it. It's I, I would love for Barbara Streisand to direct a fourth film. I need to go seek out the rest of her filmography. It really is incredible. Um, so overall, would you recommend Yentl to other people as we wind yes, things down? I, yeah, it's like it's not a movie I would just like put on like at a. I almost said put on at a party. What am I? <laughs> what? <laughs> the thing I would do anyway. It's but not like, one you can casually suggest for movie. No, night. it's definitely something that when I'm like, hey, do you want to watch a movie and then think about like gender and sexuality and like religion? Okay, <laughs> like watch it. It's definitely a movie to like digest and to watch and really absorb. And I definitely would recommend this movie to people who haven't seen it. Um, and I'd probably watch some of the scenes again. I don't know if I watched the whole, I may not watch the entire thing again. I feel like it's a good movie. Like once you've really watched it and put all your focus on it the first time, you can have it in the background and still like get those scenes. But I would definitely recommend this film for sure. right on into our activity and I was like at first I was like should I ask Jenny a question I was like no I already know we're gonna discuss a lot of things you're gonna hear us talk about our opinions a lot this episode so I I went with a quiz because I love quizzes and I wanted to talk about more about some vanity projects although I think that's kind of a mean name but I'm talking about when you have a actor who's a writer director star uh, so I'm going to do a quiz. And okay. one thing that I was interesting is I was like looking up actors who also direct. And it was oh, so many men. And also just like all the women I could find. I could only find examples of white women who also have directed movies that they started. And I was like, I know Angela Bassett's directed some television. So Angela Bassett feature film when. But yeah, it's all white people. But I just, I can need to be honest. Like, Yentl loves to learn. I need to continue to expand my, my knowledge of, of film. Um, but yeah, so we're going to start with Bradley Cooper, who was directed and written and starred in a movie. So, did Bradley Cooper direct American Sniper, A Star is Born, or Silver Linings Playbook? A Star is Born? Correct! 
Uh, he was also snubbed for best director in that, but also Bradley Cooper has eight Oscar nominations. He doesn't need any more. Has, I just think damn. Bradley Cooper has too many Oscar nominations. Sorry, Bradley. Has Cooper. he won one? No, he never has. Okay. His well, latest I mean... nomination was for executive producing Joker. I was like, what? What? Oh, Why God. is this happening? Okay. Um, okay. Uh, had to Google Ben Affleck for this next question, which is always fun to see what headlines pop up. They're never good. But did Ben Affleck direct the movie Argo, Gone Girl, or Goodwill Hunting? Argo. Correct. He did also, write Goodwill Hunting, which was his first Oscar. Also, I. <laughs> okay. okay. What is during one of our practice episodes, I still have a clip of you just yelling Ben Affleck, and it makes still the same. Ben Affleck and his giant piece of cheese in Toronto. <laughs> Come collect your cheese, Ben Affleck. Every time you say Ben Affleck, it just reminds me of that, and it's great. Anywho, continue. Come collect your cheese, Ben Affleck. Okay, now we're going to get into some ladies. Brie Larson, who was an Oscar winner for Room, which she did not direct in, but did Brie Larson direct the movie Unicorn Store, Short Term 12, or The Gambler? Unicorn Store. Correct! I still haven't seen it. Sorry, Brie Larson. I haven't either, but I remember seeing a trailer for it and knowing that she directed it. Nice. Uh, I feel like you'll know this next one, too. But did Drew Barrymore direct Charlie's Angels 2, Full Throttle, Fever Pitch, or Whip It? Whip It. Correct. She did executive produce both the other two, though, because she also has a very successful production company. Ooh, Go Drew Barrymore. Whip It? Whip It is so good. Whip It is so good. <gasps> I got emotional. Drew Barrymore has a talk show now, and for her birthday, they did an episode where they like had different guests call in and just wish her happy birthday, and one of them was Steven Spielberg, which is also very cute, because Steven Spielberg has known Drew Barrymore since she was like four years old, and they're very yeah. close, and she's talked a lot about how much he's been a positive influence in her life. I wanted to give a shout out to Steven Spielberg, who like absolutely derailed the birthday message to being like, Drew, Whip It was so good. Please direct another movie. Thank you, Steven Spielberg, oh. for being a Whip It warrior. Hell yeah. And for my last one, you're crushing this quiz. Did Elizabeth Banks direct Pitch Perfect, Pitch Perfect 2, or Pitch Perfect 3? Didn't she direct all of them? She did not. Okay. Um, let's say... I respect you being like, she's trying to do a quick question. I wasn't for once. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's a hidden answer through. Um, uh, the first one? The second one. Interesting. Yeah. That's Elizabeth Banks. Shout out to Women Directing. Love to see it. Love to yeah. hear about it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's fawning appreciation of the movie Yentl. Uh, we would love it if you could like, review, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app or podcast app of your choice. I don't even know if Google Play does reviews, but if they do, do one there. That'd be really cool. You can also follow <laughs> us on Twitter at Hi Ho Podcast or on Tumblr at Hi Ho Podcast. That's H-Y-H-O Podcast. You can also email us at HiHoPodcast at gmail.com. And we just think that would be really neat. Yeah. Yes, that'd be great. And we also have our... Um our July playlist is out and it's a party time playlist so please listen to that have a good time have a good time and you have permission to dance yes <gasps> yes <laughs> okay and remember to like what you like your opinion is valid as long as it's the same as mine <laughs>